we've always been different. I find that's a good thing. As a general rule, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, who there are issues be with you? being. I, wow! I'm not even going to try wow. to answer that. <laughs> Talk about testing the friendship. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Heather Dame knows a good voice when she hears one. Heather heads up Atlas Talent's West Coast branch. Moving from New York to Los Angeles over a decade ago, she built the Western Empire full of some of the best voice actors anywhere. Heather built Atlas's animation department from the ground up, as well as having a close hand and partnership with other agents in developing the Los Angeles commercial video game promo narration and trailer departments. She is as passionate about developing talent as she is about creating new business. From agenting to problem solving to negotiating, Heather is open and honest, and she brings that approach to her business that makes her the person every voice actor would love to have on their side. With so much to say and so little time to say it, let's talk voiceover, Heather Dame. Hi, guys. I don't think that I have ever had my bio narrated before. <laughs> it's a very weird experience. <laughs> Happy to be You're here. First. In fact, I, I've got a new side niche, and it's called bio narration, and I'm trying to get represented for it. So, uh, yeah. It's a <laughs> well, it would be better if you just gave me a pep talk every morning, I think. <laughs> I could do that, too. I can do that. I've been known to wash someone's dog for 20 bucks. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a dog-eat-dog world. Anyways, hi. <laughs> so, you know, you've been in L.A. long enough now because I still consider you a Northeasterner. Okay. Because you and I met, if I would say use the word met, literally like maybe a year after you came out to L.A. And you were still going back to the Northeast to go camping and hiking and, you know, and maybe you're still doing that. I am. Um how do you consider yourself at this point? Uh, I'm I'm a West Coast person now. I mean, I go back and forth still, um, but I've been living out here for 10 years now. It's kind of crazy. Um, I've had to actually shift my language more recently because I'm like, you know, we're new out here and people look at me like they don't even know we were never in Los Angeles. You know, that we only had started this agency out here 10 years ago. They think they think we've always been here. Um, so to me, it's interesting. I am now I am now fully West Coast. I'm married. I have four stepkids. Uh, my life is very full and it is absolutely West Coast. Um, but I go back to visit my family in New Hampshire and Boston all the time. And I go back at least once a year to go visit um, all my people in New York um, since I agented there first and I lived there for seven years before I came out here. So, but I am, you know, firmly planted out here. They like it when I'm out here and, and helping the office um, operate. So, so I, I, yeah, I'd say I've fully acclimated to the West Coast state of mind. No, I, I was just going to say, did you actually open the LA office? Because I thought that there was like a small presence here and you kind of came out to really not only build it up, but do the VO aspect of it. No, so, so Atlas has been open since 2000 in New York. Um, the owners of the company, John and Lisa, uh, when they opened Atlas, they, they, they did a lot of promos and commercials um, and radio imaging and all of that jazz out of New York and across the country. Um, and actually, one of the owners of the company, John Wasser, had been going back and forth for years before they moved me out here, just, you know, coming and staying in hotels, just like a Willie Loman, a voiceover, if you will, um, pitching a lot of trailer talent. So he really developed a lot of our trailer talent from the ground up. But we never had an actual presence out here in the other areas of voiceover or an office. Um, and so I was the first man on the ground out here in a Los Angeles office. Yeah, John came back and forth and still does to this day, actually. Um, but they asked me to 
you know, basically build up the animation game as well as help develop the commercial department in Los Angeles and, and help build the whole office from the ground up. It was just me and a part-time assistant in a small office space when we started. And we've had four office expansions since. And, and now we have seven full-time employees out here and most of our companies by coastal. So, uh, wow. you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's grown over the course of time. But so John, we did have that presence in, in promos and trailers in that world, but we did not have that presence yet in animation and games and commercials in Los Angeles. Angeles. Right. So how did you break the doors down to get into animation and games? I mean, th- those are some pretty sturdy doors. Uh, it was a lot. Uh, we took it one day at a time. Um, so I don't know if you guys are aware of uh, Michael Leon Woolley. I like to call him like L.A. animation talent zero for us. Um, you know, we when I was still in New York, um, he really wanted to get into animation. He booked uh, The Princess and the Frog, and he asked me to set him up with meetings. And so John and I just started cold calling people, asking them to take meetings with him. Um, and that's kind of oh how, yeah, that's kind of how it started. Um, and people met him, and they loved him, and they started hiring him. And so he was actually on the West Coast before we were, um, you know, and at the, interestingly enough. And uh and so we just started calling people. You know, John really helped me. I was a brand new agent. Um, I had been doing promos in New York, and I've been doing it for, you know, maybe eight months to a year. And I'd started succeeding. And he turned around and he was like, build animation. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you want me to do what? <laughs> like, yeah, you should build an animation department. And so we just, he helped me um, and Lisa helped me. And we just started calling people and setting up meetings. And we introduced ourselves one person at a time, you know, and there was a lot of talent who came with us from the beginning. Hinden Walsh came to, um, with us right away as well. Um, Jim Cummings, Roger Rose, you know, there's a lot of people who started the agency with us in Los Angeles and really helped us build it brick by brick. You know, I, that's why I think it's funny. You know, I, I, I can't help but call us like the little engine that could even though I get that that's not that's no longer how people view us um, right. but I think that that perspective helps on a daily basis to keep doing your job and view it with fresh eyes and feel positive and continue to always be looking for how do I continue to build and, and not be jaded um, which I think mm-hmm. I think a lot of agents are you know it's it's a tough job yeah it is it truly is. Like, it, it truly is. And I think a lot of people, until you walk in those shoes, you don't really understand how difficult of a job it is. Um, you wear a lot of hats and a lot is expected of you. Um, more than you could ever imagine is expected of you. Um, so, I mean, honestly, we just call people one at a time. Um, Andrea Romano was one of the first meetings that um, I took. And... Mm-hmm. Very funnily, she said to me something that shaped the way that I helped build Atlas and our roster out here was she said to me, I don't need you to have a hundred people on your roster. Right. I need you to have one great person and they can book the job. I'd rather you send me one great person than 20 mediocre people who aren't ready and aren't right for the job. Oh my God, no kidding. And it and it really, because I was like, I don't have people yet. You know, she said, who else do you represent? I, I She had met Michael Liam Woolley, was hiring him on Batman Brave and the Bold, loved him. And was like, and, she, and that was the moment. She said, who else do you have? And I sat in that meeting and I wasn't sure what to say. And I said, no one yet. Mm-hmm. And that was, and that was her response to me. And it changed the way that I viewed how we were going to operate and what worked and what didn't. And so I no longer felt like I was, I felt like it was okay. I'm going to sell the people that we have and develop the people that I find. And we're going to do it slowly and surely and and not too quickly and make sure that we're doing it in a curated, thoughtful, organic way that that it's not just about, um, you know, signing on everyone you can and throwing spaghetti against the wall. It's going to be more methodical and slow mm-hmm. and building. And, and so... 
I think that that is why we've sustained and built the way we have over the course of time, because mm-hmm. a lot of people, I think they think, oh, you just get as many clients as possible and throw spaghetti against the wall and see what happens. And, right. and then that creates a very different way of operating that I don't think helps everybody succeed in the long term. No. You know, we've always had, we have the philosophy at Atlas, it, it, we have the reputation that it's hard to get signed with us. Um, and uh, I think the reason for that is that when we bring someone on, everybody agrees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both offices, New York and L.A., all the agents, even if that agent isn't going to service that talent, they, you still want to make sure that when the right project comes up for them, you know, and for that talent, that they're on board with ha- that they want to service and, and support that talent and be on board with booking them. And uh, and so it makes it more difficult to get signed with us. But it also means we have a very curated list that is very well supported by multiple agents. And that's never really just one agent that the talent can rely on for their business. So they're more diversified across both coasts and across the full agency, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And the one thing that I've always really admired about you and, you know, and this is this is coming from a director's point of view. um, You know, one of the things that has driven me nuts about a lot of agents and a lot of agencies is you go to them and you say and you have a very specific character description. I need this. And the tendency of a lot of agencies is to say, oh, well, I need to send you, you know, I'm going to pick a number out of a hat. Twelve people because you need to know that I have these people here. Twelve. You're being you're being really generous for most agents. I got to tell well, you. Well, I'm I'm uh, just I'm my my point being that, you know, uh, that you know, they may have 3 or 4 people that legitimately fit that character description and yet they'll send a larger number. Um I I don't know whether it's to show the talent that they're working for them, but but it's almost like did you read the character description and that is the one thing that I have always really admired about you is I two things. One, that I can come to you and and say, "Heather, this is what I'm looking for." And that's what you send me. You don't send me like, "Hey, here's someone that you know, maybe you should know about." And that you also have always been very generous with saying Keep me in the loop, but if you need to contact somebody to talk about a project or whatever, that's fine. Just keep me in the loop, which I respect and do. Is is that something that is more – is that your philosophy? Is that an agency philosophy? Is that – you know, who drove that? Uh, well, I think, you know, I think how you lead is how people – gives them the chance to be more creative and find their own way with things and, and find their – and have the room to room to grow and find their own talents, if you will. So uh, so I think that is specifically a style I have. However, I have to give credit to the owners of the company for giving me such autonomy and space to really grow as an agent and, and play to my strengths that they gave me the opportunity to develop that um, way of operating, if that makes sense, because uh, no one had done animation before at our agency so or games and so it is such a different skill set that I had to learn that market and had to learn the talent and learn the skill sets behind it and Mm-hmm. That was something I, I would go to classes. I would go to sessions. I would I did all sorts of things to to figure it out because I had learned the trade of promos when I first started. And that was their trade. So they could teach me how to do that in promos mm-hmm. and how to how to look at that from that perspective. But I, the piece that is from the agency is that because the agency started out with such a heavy promotional department and that world, um, something that most people I don't think recognize about that area of the world unless you work in it is that it is a highly pitched business. It's all relationship based. Um, and those aren't opportunities that just it's not like a promo producer um, has a spot that they're working on for one of their shows. And just the way an animation 
um, casting director generally will, or video game casting director will reach out to lots of people, you know, because they need lots of good options from around town from multiple agencies. You know, promo producers tend to actually just want to reach out to one agent as long as they can fulfill their needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that business is very much solely based on relationships and the ability to book those jobs. Mm -hmm. So it is fully pitched. So you can't expect, you can't become an agent in promos and expect your phone to ring. It won't. And the money certainly won't come in either. Either You have to go mm-hmm. get that those relationships. You have to go build them. And then when the projects come in, you have to book them. And you have to continuously do a great job for that person so that over the course of time, your hope is that 20 years in, you have an exclusive relationship. And there's quite a few exclusive relationships in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a bit of, you know, if you're talking about what comes from the company, where that that's a bit of what I think you're talking about, where that stems from for me, is that viewpoint on agenting. Mm-hmm. I don't view it as, I've got a roster, you should call me. Right. I view it as a very curated experience, that experience I bring to each buyer um, and each client over the course of time and the job I do for them, not only do I have to call them first and build that relationship, that's on me, not on them. Uh, but once I do that as well, then I also have to do a great job and curate lists and curate. And so that because in the long term, the way I'm going to be able to I don't I, you know, when we started out, we had a couple of big name people. But for the most part, we developed a lot of our roster from the ground up mm-hmm. and, you know, to where they are today. Um, and we have some really successful people we built from the ground up in partnership with them. And how you do that, like, how do I send you someone completely unknown and you trust me that they're going to be able to hold their own in a session? Well, I show you that I can be trusted. Right. And that I have that ear. And so so that's that's a bit of my strategy, if you will, as an agent. Now I'm giving you now I'm giving you my agent secrets. Again, from my perspective, I I massively appreciate that because you're right. If I send you something and you send me you send me somebody in there like, "Hey, this is somebody I think you should listen to." I know you're not blowing smoke up my skirt. You're, it's like, no, this is actually, I've, I've, I've looked at what you're looking for. I, I know something about this person, or I know, maybe know a lot about this person. I think they could do this. And whether they get booked or not, I, I can't even think of any time that you've sent me something like that. And it's like, yeah, no, not that person. They've always been in that wheelhouse. And that's kind of the point, isn't it? Yeah, well, and I mean, it is the point. It should be the point. Yeah, it, sh- it should be the point. It, sh- right. it should be the point. I think that's also where I have fun. I I enjoy that process of it. I, th- the casting and the developing and 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 learning the nuances and building those relationships with people and and that's the part that I really love. Um, do I have to also be good at the negotiating part and the navigating part and all of that? Like, and you know, I know how to spin with the best of them because I'm an agent. <laughs> it's part of my job. You know, I know how to do all of those sort of things. But I really like live in the casting space, that space of it is is what makes this job come to life for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I enjoy it as well. So that's a piece of it that, you know, that I feel like is something I can uniquely bring. And a lot of times when I'm selling the agency, I'm also selling my ear and my development style and not just here's some people, pick one. And, and I think that that is a distinction that some people are really great at and some people are not. And, and it is a distinction between different types of agenting, you know, um, as well. Like, I think it's more important in the game and animation world than it is in the commercial world, for instance, where it's a little bit more like, you know, a, a roulette game trying to win one of those jobs. Right. Um, and it's not always the way that they audition is it's not always something they ex- like what you read on your commercial audition is essentially usually what they're going to expect in the booth. 
Right. So there's, and when you read for an animation or game audition, they're going to expect five other things from you in the booth when you get there. And so that's the complicated way in which animation and games, since it casts remotely now, that's the difference it makes is that the casting director has to figure out either they know you and they've worked with you in the booth before, and that's what makes it easier to pass you forward, right? Mm -hmm. If you know, I mean, in some senses, it, you, you get a new person, you listen to their demo, my get, or listen to their audition rather, and, and you love it, but you don't know their name. My guess is the first thing you do is fig is ask oh which agency is that person with <laughs> have they done anything who are they can i trust them in the booth because what you don't want to do as a casting director is put them through have them hired and then have them walk in the door and not be able to perform what's expected of them because what's on the mp3 is only the beginning of what's expected of them in the booth um i yeah, again i can only speak from my own perspective um i if somebody nails an audition i mean you can kind of tell when somebody's you know cobbled something together most of the time, at least with the auditions that I send out, you know, and, and there's that fine line that you have to do of giving people, you want to give enough copy to be able to let the person stretch and do what it is that they do without being like, you're going to be in the booth for an hour just doing an audition, which I think is unconscionable from my perspective. So, but I think there's, you know, I almost always try to give enough copy or enough leeway or, or you know, or please do this two or three different ways if you think you can bring two or three different things to the, to the table. If somebody can do that, uh, they're they're probably going to be just fine. You know, the, the people who really are uh, are are too green to be able to walk into a booth and do it somewhere in that audition. It, I'm not going to say 100 percent because I've had those things happen, but high 90s. If you do the audition well, and if they they turn something around, you can kind of tell. No, this person knows what they're doing. Whether they have been, you know, whether they got 50 credits under their belt or or zero, kind of doesn't matter at that point. They can do the gig. Yes, if you're expecting them to only do that one voice and that one character. Fair, fair point. And I mean, that tends to be for me, like at least in 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 animation, I think it's probably a bigger deal than it is in games. Mm -hmm. um, and it comes up more in animation than it does in games. But in animation, they usually want you to cover three characters, at least two. Um, and and there's so much more nuance, I think, in long term if you're playing a character over a full series, right? And they're hiring you for sure. for for five seasons of a character, and you're meant to breathe life into it. So maybe that's maybe the context context difference is animation versus games. Mm -hmm. Because I've definitely had people who audition really well who are not as good in the moment in the booth and I've had people who don't audition as well who are amazing when they get in the room mm -hmm. um, so it's an interesting because from my perspective I see both of it you know like I think you kind of, you kind of get the best of everybody you know like mm -hmm. you're not you know you're you're not being sent the people who aren't ready for you yet I think in a lot of right circumstances but I have people that I have to work with that I really like they have to I would rather them audition less but come into our booth every week because from home, they're just not able to create what they can when they're in person with people. And it's interesting. So I know that they're more talented than their auditions. Um, so that happens, too, on my end, is that there are people who are who are more talented than their auditions. And I have to try to eke that out of them, teach them the skill set of auditioning and specifically from home so that they can actually put forth what they can do on those mp3 files mm -hmm. like it's it's a very interesting it's an interesting world because it used to i mean i'm glad that it's opened up because that opened up an opportunity for us to develop people and i don't think we would have been able to if it were a closed group of people working um in animation and games but it, it is a it's an interesting shift in the industry in general of how of how it has really turned to be more um from home in general um and and how much of the audition process and booking process happens all remotely without anyone meeting each other mm -hmm. so so that's a really interesting part of what we all go through especially as an actor 
not only is it the self-direction and figuring out how to self-direct from a home audition, but then most of the work, I mean, <clears throat> the, the story is always that all the animation and game work, it has to be done in L.A., how accurate, how inaccurate, um, what kind of what kind of voice uh, recommendations do you have for voice actors on that? So, you know, um, Randy actually does a lot of his stuff from home studios. He he's fine with that. Um, and there are a couple people who do do that. And so it's it's no there's no hard and fast rule. So which is why I'll never say never. But uh, from my experience, um, talking to many casting directors as well as bookings and submitting people from out of town. And I mean, we represent people across the entire country, as well as we have a full department in New York that are, you know, local New York people, sure. as well as our local L.A. It's kind of like a Venn diagram <laughs> of people that do different <laughs> things. Um the thing that I tend to tell people is the reality is that you can book a couple of jobs in animation and games not living in Los Angeles. But if you want to uh, book like a full, build a full, long, sustaining career, you have to be there. It's where the opportunities are. It's where the relationships are. It's the, the those those moments are built in the booth with people. Right. The relationships and the connections happen in person. And, you know, and the majority of the jobs prefer people to be in person and even in the context where someone's auditioning from out of town but would fly in um where they would fly in for the booking um that i've i've even seen over the course of time because you have to remember we started with no one in los angeles we started with a new york office and i had a bunch of broadway people there so what do you think i did I use them. I train that. I train that. You know that. that of course. That's the first thing I'm going to do. Is like maybe I, I'm going to make animation people out of these Broadway people. You know that's where Michael Leon Woolley started. They're amazing actors. We can teach them the skill set. You know, um, Andrea Romano even came and taught a class for me <laughs> in New York, which she hadn't done in years. When she heard I was looking to train them up, she's like, "I'll come if you set it up um, and meet those people and help them." Um, you know, so that's how I started off doing it. So I've done that for many years, and I've done it with some limited success here and there. Um, but but uh, but what I've discovered is that most jobs in animation, they'll, you, they're just unpredictable. It's very organic how things happen. It may be that at four o'clock, Nickelodeon is writing to me saying, we have this audition for tomorrow. What are your ideas? Or we want to see this person, anyone else. And I just name the other person and they get a time tomorrow, you know, and they gave us two times. Um, and so now if you're in New York... What if you were the perfect person for that? They're not going to see you. And you just miss that opportunity. Um, you know, alternately, people also like you would you basically have to fly blindly no matter what. Um, and I have meaning meaning like they may say on Monday, we need them on Wednesday. And now you're booking a thousand dollar plane ticket. Um, your your cost of your travel is more than the session itself. And there are just a lot of jobs that that look that way. And so the reality is that if you really want to be in it, if you really want to build a career in it, you have to be where it is. And it's here. If you want to book some jobs, absolutely you can do that from afar. You have to find an agent who's willing to do that with you and willing to put you out in the places that it will work. But I haven't seen, and I've seen a lot of this, like I have to say, I have so much context for this conversation and I'm not going to talk about details of different talent, but I have so much context for this conversation. I've tried it every which way. Um, And at the end of the day, I have just not seen someone build as full of a career as they could. I even have people who work quite a bit in animation out of uh, Nickelodeon in New York and still can't succeed. They, and if I know, there's a girl I know that if she came out to L.A. would be all over the place. Everybody would be using her in town. She's so amazing. Mm-hmm. 
and remotely it just doesn't she just doesn't build that career um but she has other careers and so she's 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 living her best life she's perfectly happy <laughs> you know there's you right, know she's right. yeah we, we've had this discussion and I, i'm not disappointed either she's living the life that she wants to live and doing the work that she wants to do and i'm able to help her get animation while living in new york as well and that's awesome and we love her and she's one of my favorite talent um and she's just such a kind awesome human being um and she's working a ton as well in new york but it's still not the same as it would be if she lived in LA. Right. And and that's just that's just a reality. And I and I think as much as and I don't think that's gonna change because animation, the magic happens in the room a lot. It's a lot of improvisation and, and chemistry and and moments that people are creating together. I think, you know, games often are a little bit more isolated in how they cast and how they how they book. So those um, I think that's the reason a lot of those have been more willing to do remote sessions and do things from New York or LA or book a studio or mm-hmm. or or the like but for animation i don't think that that's going to die anytime soon i think that there's there's something that makes animation just shine when it's all when it's done that way mm-hmm. and there's a there's a je ne sais quoi about them the breathing life into it in person you know the places where they're actually interestingly enough splitting people up is where they have a celebrity on the show and they're shooting something in Toronto or they're you know and so and so got it yep so when you're working with that kind of context um, you know sometimes they still will bring in the rest of the cast and have someone come in and just read those lines or have people scratch the people who are in other members of the cast scratch that person's lines right because they still want the magic of that but you know this person they're not going to replace their lead role because they booked a series regular and now they're in shooting in Toronto um, and so they have to pick that person up later um, in the ADR uh, phase. But uh, there are some animated series that will do it, you know, one person at a time. And usually it's for those sort of reasons. But I'd say a lot of animated series, they have a they have a regular day and time they record with their cast and they try to stick to that as much as they can. There's obviously lots of circumstances around which they they will they will change that around. But typically, let's say you book a lead role in an animated series, you typically you know that you're recording every Tuesday from two to six, you're on hold for the for in, mm. indefinite. Definitely. Sure. And then they, depending on how prominent your character is, you know, they book a release you, you know, for that for that hold. So so that's that's generally how they operate, um, though there are many there's they be, they break that rule a lot, let's say, for because because of the amount of celebrities and name talent and, you know, and and technology is such now that where they feel more comfortable with studios that aren't with the sound quality of studios that aren't in Los Angeles and they can control that better. Um, they are more willing to do it, but it tends to be the exception to the rule, not the rule itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in games, um, it depends on the game. Um, but games that are really looking for more interaction and acting and are a little bit more cinematic are, are starting to do the same thing. Like um, Blizzard will do that. Andrea likes to bring people in together right. um, and have them interact and have their characters interact. Um, so, uh, And I, I saw you guys interviewed her, so you pro- that's probably where this came up in your podcast was um, was with her. She does that quite a bit. She very and Right when she thinks it's really going to make a difference to the product. Um, mm. So, and I think it's really smart. And I've heard my actors say it's like it's amazing. They love it. Mm-hmm. Like it is some of the best work they feel like they've done. It's so much more helpful as an actor to be able to interact as opposed to just trying to, you know, create it all in your head and hope that you're you're getting to where you need to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and they also and they also do things like table reads uh, ahead of time, which you know I've got. That's one of the lovely things about you know working for a company of that size with you know with those kind of pockets is is that they have the opportunity to do that. And that, and I think that kind of bespeaks a little bit to some of the other things you're saying about how how and why people outside of LA you know sometimes get the work is when budgets are not 
where you can actually say, hey, let's go to a studio for four hours and everybody's going to show up and let's do this. And we're going to do this every Tuesday, as you said. Um, you know, that's the other that's the other side of things. But but gaming budgets are continuing to come up. You know, I know that for the, the stuff that I do and you know, some of this is because I've pushed for it for a long period of time, but I'm now seeing uh, a lot of budgets that are coming up above scale uh, and even, you know, non-union things that are coming up above scale. And so when you start getting things to that point, now you start to have that ability to do more ensemble stuff or to um, to, to take that kind of time. And I, and I wonder if that's kind of part of it is that it's just that animation has always, this has just been the world that they've lived in and games started from literally people like in cubicles saying, can you do a voiceover? And I mean, they started yeah. from a very different place. Yeah. 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 So they're valuing they're valuing what the actors bring to the table and to their scripts more than ever, I would say. Yes. In in, in gaming as well, because because of the storylines they're creating. But at the same time, you know, what they were creating when they were doing it from their desk, you know, was very different. They were just like smash, you know, like it was, it's, you know, it's, it's a very different thing now when you need the when you're when you're really having the full actor. You know, it's the same. It, it really is. It was a different it was a different beast. Voiceover looked different. What the oh, how yeah. the game oh, yeah. if the game looks really rudimentary like it used to. No one's going to balk when it doesn't sound like a real actor because the game is rudimentary. The whole thing has that kind of context to it but now everything looks so real to life and it looks like a film um and the storylines are so intricate and games run the gamut not everything is a war game you know it is there's so many differing types of storylines and 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 investment that the people playing the game have to have Mm -hmm. in order to keep playing your game and keep giving you their money um that you really do have to you have to you have to have real actors in there who are really bringing something to the game that that gets the people playing it invested that they are in it with those people it's also why you have such huge fandom in that world oh yeah yeah and i think you just hit a really important point it is about bringing acting back into voice acting right it's it it never left (laughs) well fair enough um but i mean especially especially when games started out it really was it was Go get go get Susie or Jimmy down the hall. We'll throw them in the booth and get a couple of sounds, right? But it it really is now. I get asked from people, I really want to do games and, and animation. I say, well, you need to go out to L.A. and what acting classes do you take regularly? Right. And they're like, well, no, but I've done some games. I've done some some parts in games, and so I think it's really. I'm like, uh, uh-uh. uh, that's not the way it works. It can't. It really is about being an actor first. Yes, mm-hmm. I like I like to tell people like because a lot of people do voices. You know, that's where the, a lot of the fans now. So what's what's an interesting trend that's occurring right now um, is with technology, everybody thinks they can be a voiceover actor because all you have to do is yep. build your booth, build it up, and cool. I can go online and and do something for fifty bucks, and that makes me a voice actor. Um, and and so that takes away the emphasis on the acting, you know, when they look at it from that way. And and the reality is, sure, you can go do someone's corporate video for 50 bucks online and you could make that kind of money here and there and a little bit. But it doesn't make you a voiceover actor in reality. Um, no, not and, at all. And, and you can also have a great voice, do many impressions, you know, all sorts of things like that. And that, again, doesn't make you successful as a voiceover actor. You know, some of the most successful people we have have really nondescript voices. Mm-hmm. You know, so when someone 
someone comes in, someone comes and says to us, like, I've got this great voice or I can do all these impressions and they start to do impressions. The reality is that that's not what it's about. No, um, no. Whether it's a commercial promos, it doesn't matter what realm you're talking about. Um, and in fact, I think it's interestingly enough, like promos and trailers, they require a really great deal of acting mm-hmm. because it's really subtle and it's and you have to connect to that copy. And it's pretty hard to connect to that copy. Um, you listen to Scott Rummel and read a trailer and he's connected to it. And if you were to look at that piece of trailer copy, you could never produce what he produces and the emotion that he <laughs> produces. You just couldn't. It's like brilliant. And, uh, you know, so it's it's not even just in animation and games. It's across the industry in every single aspect of it. There has to be an acting background and a connection to that script that you are reading, whether it's a commercial that you're selling for McDonald's or whether you're playing a lead role in an animated series. Um, yeah. And, and you know, it's it's one of those things where, like, in animation, it's it's very, these fans say, great, I can, I can do all these impressions. And the thing I say to them is, cool, those jobs are already taken. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so, what, Where are so your what would you do? Original with the role? characters. Yeah. Right, exactly. Like, those jobs are already taken. Bart Simpson already has, it's already taken. Someone already has that job. Um, so they're, they're not really casting for that. Um, what, we, what we're really casting for is people who can look at a character and create and bring that character to life off the script, have it live and breathe, create the scene around it, and interact moment to moment with that scene around it. Mm-hmm. And someone who can do that, and it's like a, like a one-man, one-woman show in your head. You know, like, and and you create the entire thing and interact with it around you and you breathe life into it that no one else can quite do. And the voice, the voice characteristic is just like a little brushstroke in your whole painting of your character. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not the painting, you know. Oh, yeah. And so it's you know, it's 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 that whole idea of voice first it happens in trailers too. you know, get these guys with these really deep voices say, I want to do trailers. And the reality is you need to learn to be an actor first. Yep. Well, I think that's a holdover from radio, though, because, you know, that's when the voice was the thing. And now it's acting first. You know, voices can be, as you said, they're all over the map. You know, I want someone with a high squeaky voice. I want someone with, you know, with with a reedy kind of time. I mean, and actually, you don't even necessarily think about that. I don't even I almost never give voice characteristic descriptions. Almost never. It's all what is the what is the character? What does the character bring to the table? Their the, the certain type of emotion, the, the 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 mental aspect that they're coming from. It's scene study, especially for the people who have gone to grad school for theater. Sometimes it takes them a minute to figure out how to harness their grad school abilities into voiceover. And I just look at them and I'm like, it's scene study. It's the same thing. Yep. <laughs> it's not different. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's not different at all. And they're like Oh, I get it now. You just spent a bunch of money <laughs> learning this in grad school. And it's just they need to learn how to. I, I, it's often the case with really well-trained actors, too, um, that they need to learn the technical skill sets of how to take what they know as an actor and translate it into our medium as well. So I, I find I, I really enjoy finding really great actors and then helping them learn how to translate their skill in or comedians and helping them learn to translate their skill in. Um, that's something that I that's typically how I find and develop talent, actually. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's kind of the modus operandi of, of how I, I've done it is find a really great actor and then they can learn the skill set. How do you typically find talent? I mean, I know there's the whole, you know, people send you reels and, and, I, don't, and I, don't, I don't want to get into that kind of stuff, you know. There's a there's a thousand there's a thousand ways. There's no right way. Um, we've I mean we have a guy right now who we found who just a, a, a cold email he sent. We took a listen to his demo and we're like, 
well, let's let's meet with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's doing really well. Um, so there, it, there's no right way. There's there's definitely winning the lottery can exist. You know, you get you catch someone, an agent in the exact right moment in the exact right day where they right. where they're like, I have a minute to click on this demo. They click on it. And if it presents as an opportunity to their roster in that moment of something that we don't book, because that's what you're looking for. Right. So when you submit to an agent, you know, and, and I try to say this to people like an agent doesn't respond to you or I don't respond to you. Don't view it as a negative feedback on your talent. What it means is that you right now and what you bring to the table doesn't present as an opportunity to me and our roster right now. So it may be that your category and what you bring to the table is already something I have a couple of people in that category. Um, But if you're coming at me with something unique and something different that we don't book and I've been getting that spec all the time and we're just not booking it, that's going to be really interesting to me. Even if I, even if you're a little bit more raw and you need more training, but you're a great actor and you fit this spec that I don't book, I'm like, okay, cool. I will spend more time with you and help you develop these skill sets and send you to the right coach and do all these things to help you because mm-hmm. you are going to, a year from now, you'll be booking those jobs for me. Right. Yep. You know, uh, and it's a category, it's, it's found money for both of us because if we're not currently booking it we don't currently have it on the roster that presents as an opportunity to me so I, I you know it's the same thing as when I'm pitching business at the end of the day when you go and try to sell something to someone you know you do it as genuinely as you can in whatever way makes the most sense to you and what you're able to bring to the table and it will either present as an opportunity or not mm-hmm. and and that's really the key right you're looking to present as an opportunity to someone and you can't control what's on the other end no so for for me it can be a cold email um it is much easier honestly to get me to listen to the demo if um if you spell our names right <laughs> uh, <laughs> as, as someone who as someone who gets called ryan all the time i concur <laughs> yeah that's that's actually just a really good point you know because i talk to people about networking all the time and and i've never really put it that way and i've not heard it that way but that makes an enormous amount of sense the fallacy of selling of networking um is that you want to present your best foot if, uh, you do but you don't want to present an incorrect picture because you're going to get found out. So just go ahead and say, look, this is a, this is what I've done. I think that's just a great point. This is what I've done. I would like to be doing more than this. You know, I, I think I can, you know, I've, I've done these small projects and I, and I believe that I have the chops to do larger ones. It's just a matter of, you know, different scripts. That says a lot to somebody. Well, it's, it says to me, you know where you're at and you're going to work hard to get there and that you're tenacious. Right. There's a way of operating and personal responsibility you're taking in that moment that shows me that you line up with the way that we operate. You know, one of the things we have a reputation for is being extremely honest. Um, and, and I, you know, I wish I could say that that was purposeful. It's like my default in life. Um, you know, it's my best and worst asset uh, is how honest I am. Um, it's served me well so far in agenting. So, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll mm-hmm. hope that that will continue. I believe strongly in honesty, truth, and reality is if you can if you can handle all of that and face it and look at it, then it gives you the power to choose what to do next and make a difference. Mm-hmm. But if, if an actor comes to us and asks us how they're doing and the reality is that their reads aren't up to par and they're just not quite hitting and they do need to do some work on their reads, we're going to tell them that. And if they don't want to hear it, what I've seen over and over again is they don't do the work and they don't succeed. 
Right. But when you have an actor who takes a look at that and says, even, no one wants to hear it, right? First and foremost, no one wants to hear that. Like, that's just the reality. Like, we all sure. have certain, you know, that's not a circumstance an actor wants to hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. But if they can take it and take it, internalize it and look at it and say, okay, well, now that I know that these are the things that are preventing me from booking, what am I going to do about it? And that gives them some power and control, which actors rarely have. You know, it gives them something, it gives them a way to move forward and deal in that reality. Um, I also believe strongly, strongly that actors have a lot of um, responsibility to do a lot of the networking. And I, I say this a lot, you know, I feel like an agent and talent, I feel like it should be, the relationship should be a partnership. Um, it shouldn't just be that I'm doing the pitching and, the, and that, and then I deem whether or not you get those auditions and I send them in and you either book it or you don't, and I don't tell you the information. You know, it's kind of, it's, it, Randy, that would be, back to your point earlier, that would be the reason why... I, I'm comfortable with you building relationships with our talent as long as you keep me in the loop so I can make sure they get paid properly and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I, I right. want to make sure the business part is there, but I don't begrudge you wanting to build a relationship with the talent you book with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tell I tell them up front, the new talent you book with us, I tell them, you know, Randy likes to have a conversation directly with you. If he forgets to CC me, loop me back in. Yes, and I tell them that too. Like if I don't, you know, send it to Heather or Maria or whoever, do not, you don't even have to ask me. Just put them on yep. there. It might have been an oversight, but it doesn't matter. Just always bring them in. You know, you're not going to have me. I'm not trying to go behind anybody's back. So please bring them in so that we're all on the same page and everybody's cool. But that's a part of me saying I'm comfortable with the talent building relationship. In fact, I feel it's their responsibility. Right. Because so so you happen to be the person who casts them and directs them. But in a lot of the world's places in voiceover, um, oftentimes the person casting the talent and talking to us is not the person the talent's working with in the booth. Correct. And, and, and right. And that's that's, I'd say, more often than not, which means that I have no relationship with the person who's directing them in the booth. Right. If it's the director of the show or the And in fact, I've met those people at networking events and like they think I'm so uninteresting. They like the actors. <laughs> you know, I, you're laughing, but I, I literally I thought that was a way to go for myself because I was like, yeah, I'll build relationships with these people. That was something I tried at one point. And, and it turned out and because I was just I'm, I'll go down any avenue and see how it goes, you know, um, as an agent. And I was like, people aren't doing this. I should do that. And I did. And they were just like, cool. So you like negotiate contracts. And then <laughs> and then they would turn around to me and almost inevitably they would have a friend who wanted to do voiceover because they wouldn't know what to do with me and they would send me their demo. Mm. (laughs) And that was my, and that was it. Those people, but you know, you put them in front of an actor and they're like, well, I write for actors. I love actors. I'm writing this thing now. What are you doing? We're both creatives and you make my scripts come to life. And isn't that so interesting? And that's where they thrive. And that's the relationship the actor can build. And I can't build that for them. Mm-hmm. So they and those are their relationships if they can hang, hang on to them and build them. So those people will go from show to a different show to a game company to, you know, they'll, they'll have they'll have a career. And those actors may get to follow them if they build a relationship with them. I, I do view it as a full partnership. It's not only my job to build that relationship and, and get those auditions, um, but it's also your job to build a relationship on your end. You know, I, I basically view my job as getting the opportunities and then decreasing the competition. If you were just mm-hmm. put it as simply as possible, uh, you know, those two things <laughs> are, are a key aspect of booking jobs in, in voiceover for your actors as an agent. Um, but then, you know, the actor can really make a difference because if the person on the other end there, the director knows them and worked with them on another project, they're going to want to hear their read. And then if you get in front of people, you can book the job. That's incredibly sound advice from someone who really knows what she's talking about. I kind of wish there were more people out there like you, Heather. We really appreciate it, and we appreciate the time you've given us today. 
And we also appreciate that you're incredibly busy. So, Randall. Brian Talbot, BT. Heather. Bye, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Heather. <laughs> awesome. As always. Thanks so much. Right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Heather Dane, Atlas Talent. Enough said. Let's Talk VoiceOver is hosted by Randy Ryan, owner of Hamsterball Studios, delivering the world's best talent virtually anywhere. And me, Brian Talbot, actor and all-around creative guy. If you have comments, questions, ideas for other show topics you'd be interested in hearing, or you just want to let us know what you think, you can reach us by sending an email to bt at letstalkvoiceover.com or go to the website at www.letstalkvoiceover.com. That's www.letstalkvoiceover.com. Hit us up on the social sites, the streaming sites. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk VoiceOver. We'll talk again real soon. <laughs>